0: All right, take your Bibles, turn to Second Peter chapter 2. You know, as I was thinking about this message and this series on bad religion, something occurred to me that I can remember about, oh, it's been maybe 15, 20 years ago. There was a guy on local television here that uh, I just thought he was a real yahoo, religious guy, okay? You know, and I would make comments, and, you know, I just wasn't... Uh, Wasn't feeling, okay? There was a situation, and he he pastored a church. And there was a situation in which we met in a prayer meeting, and he was in my little prayer group with about four or five other pastors. And so, you know, I was kind of forced in this, you know, situation. I ended up hearing his heart. I ended up hearing some of the things that he was going through. And I just remember God just convicting me of what a jerk I was (laughs) for for judging this man in a way that was just unfair. Now, I still may not agree with some of the things that he or others might teach, and I think that's fair game to talk about that. But to judge his heart, to judge motives, was really uncalled for. And so I, I think as we talk about bad religion, I know that there are people that are kind of within the tent of, of, of Christianity. They believe the gospel, they believe the Bible, just like this man that I, that I mentioned. They may do a lot of other things or, and the ways that they go about it, I just, I just don't like, don't relate to. But that doesn't mean they're not Christians, right? And, and I think there has to be a, a certain grace and graciousness that we have for people that are, that are in the tent. But at the same time, we have to be discerning, right? And so I, I hope that you can hear my heart in all of this. I'm really trying not to be arrogant about it, but at the same time, we have to be discerning and, and call out things that maybe just might not, might not be right. Isn't it true in all of our lives? I mean, I'm not sitting up here claiming, I've got my act all together, that I understand everything. You know, the elders have had to call me on the carpet for some things in the 30 some years I've been here, and I'm like, yeah, you know, you're probably right on that. So none of us have our act all together. So with that in mind, I want us to continue and we're going to finish these first three verses of 2 Peter chapter 2. Last week we heard a quote from uh, Ross uh, Douthat who uh, said that the problem with the Western culture is not unbelief but bad religion. The slow motion collapse of traditional Christianity and the rise of a variety of destructive pseudo-Christianities in its place. And we saw from, from that quote, we kind of applied it to 2 Peter, and we saw that the false teaching that Peter was talking about was, number one, a, a, a permissiveness of all kinds of sexual expression. Now, And when I say this, that doesn't mean you can't love people, right? It doesn't mean that we, we cease being kind, but we clearly see that there are some things that are outside the bounds of, of biblical Christianity in terms of behavior, but also in terms of belief, because they denied the authority of Scripture. Speaking of these false teachers, they denied the second coming of Christ, and they elevated their experiences over revelation or, or, or the Word of God. And then we talked about the five lies that kind of lay the groundwork that, that torpedo false teaching in the church. And they are, number one, that truth is nothing more than a social construct. That faith and objective facts are always two separate uh, entities. That to claim to know objective truth is prideful. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And all religions are basically the same. Those are really dangerous assumptions to make. Set us up, I think, for just having the church accept any kind of uh, teaching. I was having a physical exam uh, this week and the nurse was, identified herself as a Christian. She began and found out I was a pastor and then told me about the multiple pastors that had been in her church and the long history that she had attended. And she said, yeah, so-and-so was fired because he constantly lied. Uh, people would catch him lying about the smallest stuff and finally the board had to fire him because he could not be trusted. I don't know about you, but uh, pastoring and lying seem to be incongruent, okay? Now, mind you, there's, there's always going to be false charges that a leader will hear, but, but in this case, this seemed to be a kind of established fact by their board, and uh, that would be a real problem. Now, his teaching wasn't bad, but his life was, at least in that, in that particular area. Christian author Tim Chalise points out various problems that spiritual leaders have, and he has several headings for these multiplicity of issues. He talks about the heretic, the charlatan, the false prophet, the abuser, the divider, the tickler, and the speculator. Now, Peter doesn't cover all of these, but the Bible makes numerous warnings that there are religious hucksters today, right? And they will infiltrate the church. And we cannot be fooled by the size of the show, by the lights, by the dazzle, and the claims. Second Peter's case, the false teachers kind of flaunted this spiritual authority and sexual immorality. Now, we know this, that Satan is called the great imitator, according to 2 Corinthians 11. In other words, Satan employs people who traffic in false religion. And then he puts them within churches. Consider Jesus' words to the Pharisees. He said this, and by the way, that was a religious group. You are of your father, the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and father of lies. (laughs) Man, I mean, Jesus seemed to have a lot more grace towards unbelievers than he did the Pharisees. He, he really was, and part of it was because they were trafficking as these religious leaders, and he's saying, uh, just uh, put on the brakes a second. Um, in addition, Galatians 1 talks about a false gospel. Romans 9 and 10 speak of a false righteousness. In other words, they tout religious deeds as, as good and holy but they have a self-serving heart. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2, it even talks about a false Christ. And so the Bible is replete with these kinds of of warnings that there are issues in religious communities that, that have to be addressed. To address them does not mean we're arrogant. Now, it could be. I'm not saying people aren't that way. They can come off as cocky and, come off as graceless, and I certainly don't want to do that, but just by pointing it out does not by necessity mean a person is being arrogant. We can do this humbly, and the fact is there are many people that I won't mention here today that I know personally that have fallen, and it, it grieves me greatly. Some have been friends and so it's a, it, it's a very heart-wrenching thing. We don't take pride in it at all. We should grieve about it. But here's what Peter has to say. Let's all stand as we take a look at this passage. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Speaking about truth of Scripture and false teaching in the culture can be treacherous ground, because often when pastors do this they'll scream a lot, they'll be angry, railing against these kinds of things, that's not the way to go. Or ignoring what Second Peter has to say, I think is also problematic. We just have to take it at, at face value. Now, it might be easier to ignore, frankly. Giving a message like today and, and other messages that are difficult might be easier not to do it, But, but love demands, for instance, that you not ignore warning your children about something. Love demands you instruct them to look both ways when they cross the street, or that they not put their hand on a hot stove. Love demands that. I'd like to shine a light on one foundational assumption that often accompanies the sexual freedom crusade, because that, it was a keynote of what Peter is talking about. I'm not going out of my way to make this point, about the sexual immorality. Peter was highlighting this, okay? And I do this so I think we can see a better way than the culture or self-professed progressive Christians propagate. The idea is that all this talk about morals is just situational. And that the only truth we can have is in the scientific or naturalistic world. So science is the default, unquestioned, absolute authority. I'm all for science, all right? I'm for science that is unbiased and seeks the truth. Uh, However, Mark Meynell in A Wilderness of Mirrors, trusting again in a cynical world says a 2009 report from Edinburgh University found that a third of scientific medical researchers admitted anonymously to scientific fraud, with nearly three-fourths saying they had witnessed deliberate warping of data to achieve desired results. Danielle Finelli The the report's author wrote, I had naively assumed that scientists would be principled, but scientists are human beings driven by their interests, hopes, and beliefs. Given opportunities to cut corners by falsifying data, they may well do so. Furthermore, the science journal Nature estimates that around 1,000 incidents of falsification, of plagiarism, of scientific studies go unreported in the US every year, unquote. I'm not surprised by that. Are you surprised by that? I'm not surprised by that because they're people. I mean, the the, the data that is propagated about our genes determining behavior and we are obligated to follow our fleshly desires fits this description, because the scientific data is indeed suspect. And the platform on which much of the sexual freedom rests is not as objective as you may think. What I'd like to do is hold up to you a better option not as some arrogant religious jerk, not as a know-it-all, but that there are objective morals in this universe put in place by a loving God. That assumption, I think, fits a lot better with who we are as human beings than this naturalistic one. So with that as a backdrop, Verse one, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now, Peter speaks of false prophets in a past tense, referring to those who rose out of Israel in the Old Testament. And he's saying, just like there were hucksters in the Old Testament, these false prophets, there are going to be false teachers today. Listen to Deuteronomy. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word of the Lord Uh, has not spoken, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Uh, You need not be afraid of him. Plainly, one of the characteristics is, you will have people speak for God, have divine authority when they don't. Secondly, we read in Jeremiah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Uh, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it may be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. So false prophets also make light of God's judgment. They promise peace when people are really going to face consequences as a result from their sin. And here is how serious God is in dealing with the false prophets in Jeremiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land, by sword and famine these prophets shall be consumed. I mean, man. You know, it's a a kind of progressive religious tactic to only quote Jesus when he talks about love, but then to leave the passages where Jesus talks about something unpleasant. But Jesus has this to say. Beware of false prophets. These are Jesus' words. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In other words, they hide amongst Christian communities, and in some cases they fit right in. They go unrecognized. Jesus also said, for false uh, Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. They do healing. Miracles. To gain popularity. And here's, I think, where Christians get hoodwinked the most. They follow anyone who seems like they have a corner on the supernatural. And false prophets, false teachers love this kind of leverage. And then, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Listen to this. If it's unkind to speak of bad religion, then Jesus was the meanest guy who ever lived. So it seems somewhere within our worldview, we have to fit that there are bad religious teachings, and somehow we have to work that out in our own head. As I mentioned last week, we have to be very careful not to bandy about the word and the phrase false teaching to apply to anyone we disagree with, and a lot of Christians do that. I see it on Facebook all the time, all right? It does not apply to every disagreement. It does not apply to minor doctrine when there's essential orthodox Christianity that is held to, all right? What I mean by that is the deity of Christ, the authority of scripture, the exclusivity of the gospel for salvation. Now, in Peter's case, he is denying a kind of particular uh, stripe of, of false teaching. They denied the second coming of Christ and then that had direct implication on the false teacher's dismissal of coming judgment. They also denied the authority of Scripture, propping up their experience over that. And they denied the clear ethical boundaries of Scripture regarding sex between a married man and his wife. They deny them, and therefore they deny the lordship of Christ. These were the attributes of the false teachers that Peter is talking about. Now, I know it's not new to you, that false teachers can be gifted and attractive people. They quote the Bible. They talk about Jesus. Now, I don't want to make you cynical of everyone who does that, but I think when you know, some warning bells go off in our head, we just have to pay attention to that and not, and not be gullible. We can't be hoodwinked. We cannot be gullible. Just because somebody dresses cool, speaks, you know, passionately, quotes Bible verses, and claims to be an advocate for love, you know, the the fact is a guy can do all that and be a tool of the devil, (laughs) right? I mean, it it can be the case. Now, I don't want to just paint this broad brush, but I hope that I've given you at least enough to know the difference between a false teacher and just somebody we disagree with. Notice Peter says it is a secret heresy. I mean, rarely does somebody come in the church and identify themselves as an opponent of Christianity. They set themselves up as a voice to be listened to, to gain favor gradually and subtly so that people are lured away. So using camouflage is what false teachers do. And it says in our passage, they are destructive. So what that means is that it destroys unity within the church. It causes people to go astray, not only in following their belief, but following their practices. Now, heresy is an interesting word. The the Greek word actually doesn't have by itself a negative connotation. It just speaks of a group. You know, you could have a group, let's say that, Follow a certain doctor for a certain treatment. It's a, it's a benign term by itself, but in Peter's usage and with the context, it, it's negative. He's speaking of a, a group of believers that believe what they want versus those who believe what they should that align it with truth. So truth is the dividing line between these two groups. On one side are people who take take god's word seriously and the other are those who are fast and loose with the bible and use it especially to confirm their sexual proclivities and recklessness now listen all of us make mistakes and and so i've had people come to me about issues that maybe teaching or even behavior is not aligning with the word and maybe you have too and i think if if our heart is right we're going to say hey Thanks for letting me know that, and and we absorb that and we try to make changes, and I think that's cool. And so, a lot of times that takes place, and the the person who maybe even was teaching uh, erroneously can can align. And so, you know, that's not a false teacher, but there are people who hear the truth, and you know, they give you a middle finger. They don't want to have anything to do with it. When they do this, they are denying the master who bought them. That's what Peter is saying. Now, there are multiple interpretations of this phrase, and time is not gonna allow me to get into all the different interpretations, but in, in staying with the context, I think the best interpretation is that they deny the lordship of Christ as their master by now walking in immorality, by refusing to submit to the truth. The context puts a strong emphasis on people being led astray by accepting this kind of permissiveness in their sexuality. But they owe to Christ their obedience, and they do not provide it. God is the one who decides ultimately who is a genuine believer. But I do think we can address someone and say who is in this continual, habitual unrepentance, okay, that hey, your, your continual actions belie your claims of Christ being in your life. I mean, I've done this several times within uh, premarital counseling, where uh, there'll there'll be a couple that I'll meet with who are living together or sleeping together, because i always ask that question. And if they are, then I'll just, you know, I'm not trying to play the heavy, but I'll just say, hey, tell me about your, the importance of your commitment to Christ. And then they'll give it to me, you know, and say, well, you know, we believe following Christ is important. And then I'll ask, okay, how do you juxtapose that with the premarital sex? And then there are crickets. And then I'll say, listen, this is what I want you to do. You know, I'm not gonna sit here and play daddy, but I want you to take this information and I want you to pray together. And I want you to ask God, what he wants you to do, and then let's get back and meet. And I'll tell you, nine out of ten times, I'll have people say, you know, hey, thanks. And we're no longer living together. You know, even if they just have a month out of the wedding, that's cool, their, their hearts are, are moldable to, to Christ working in their lives. So, you know, how we, how we receive that instruction and, and, and putting Christ as truly the Lord of our lives is really the issue. We we owe to Christ obedience. The false teachers did not provide that. Their destruction is swift. So it is coming soon. It It is imminent. The consequences will pile on quicker than they think. And by using the word destruction, it means the consequences are worse than they think. Whether that means here on earth, or in eternity, because if they're Christians and they they would lose rewards because of their disobedience. We can, listen, and should express kindness to all people, all right? Right? No matter what they're doing. But there is no escaping the consequences that people will face for their disobedience. There's no escaping what God does with people who denies his clear injunctions and refuses to acknowledge his lordship. We just have to take this at face value. How he does that in particular with each person, I can't say. He's God. That's his business. He just says, hey, he's going to do that. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Follow their sensuality again, suggests that the main charges against the false teachers is their defense for and practice in unethical, immoral behavior. These people were apologists for immoral practices. Now, Peter doesn't go into detail of what type of sensuality they are propagating, and frankly, we don't need to know, except that the clear proclamation of the word of God did not matter to them. And so they're fishing for others who are unsuspecting. I read this week an interesting piece from the Wall Street Journal. The article concluded that TikTok only needs one important piece of information to figure out what a user wants. The amount of time you linger over a piece of content. Every second you hesitate or rewatch, the app tracks you. Through that one powerful signal, TikTok can learn the most hidden interests and emotions and drive users of any age deep into rabbit holes of content, heavily dominated by videos about a specific topic or, or theme. This is at any age, right? So with a kind of sting operation, TikTok, the Wall Street Journal created dozens of automated accounts also called bots. They set up these bots to understand what TikTok shows young users. These bots registered as users aged 13 to 15 and were turned loose to browse TikTok videos. The videos revealed that TikTok can quickly drive minors, and of course adults too, into rabbit holes of drugs, violence, and sex people take a tool and they utilize it for their own end. Okay? Nothing wrong with an app in and of itself, how it's used. Listen, I'm just reporting, <laughs> okay? Don't shoot the messenger. The fact is, false teachers do the exact same thing. In using religion, as acceptance for immoral sexual activity. To blaspheme the truth means to slander or revile the truth. I expect this from the culture when it comes to immorality. But when I hear of religious leaders and teachers advocating what they call sexual freedom, a warning should go off. Walter Wink, who died in 2021, was an ordained minister and seminary professor. I was introduced to him about 10 years ago when a person who attended our church was quoting him to support permissive sexual ethics. Here are a couple examples of Wink. Quote, The Old Testament nowhere explicitly prohibits sexual relations between unmarried, consenting, heterosexual adults. (laughs) Here's another. The crux of the matter, it seems to me, is simply that the Bible has no sexual ethic. It's patently false. But if you repeat a lie enough, it's going to eventually break down the defenses especially of unsuspecting people. This blasphemes the truth because it's claiming the Bible is saying something it does not and it's denying what it does say, plainly. Again, all right, I have to be careful here. All people are deserving of respect as human beings. It is outrageous the way some Christians treat other people who are not in their same camp when it comes to ethics. And we need to quit behaving that way. We can show respect to other people, kindness as human beings, even though they disagree with us. But that doesn't change the fact that some fall within the category of a false teacher when they blaspheme the truth and propagate it. The impact of this false teaching lures Christians into similar paths of immorality, and it brings discredit upon Christ and true Christianity. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Greed indicates that these teachers were doing this for personal gain. Now that could be more than money. It could be fame. could be ego, power, control. Anybody ever know a leader like that? Religious leader? We all have. There are some Christians, Christian leaders, even pastors that go after these things, but that doesn't make them a false teacher, all right? False teachers in Peter's context put that motive in tandem with the false words that promote immorality as they deny Scripture. The false words take advantage, though, of other people. They hook them. It's like it's a spy operation. And speaking about Old Testament prophets, Micah wrote, its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. When Paul was speaking about New Testament purveyors of false teaching, he said they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Religion is to these folks something to be commercialized. They would buy, sell, and trade and exploit people. Listen, it is easy, right? You do whatever people want to hear and you can get people. You have a good enough show on the stage. You have the right people on the stage and people will show up. You can give them Christian light sermons love everybody, sing kumbaya, people love it. But that's just not real pastoring, that's pandering. With fabricated stories, they fleece the sheep. It's interesting that false words is from a Greek word, plastos, and it can literally be translated plastic words. It's false. As I said earlier, mislabeling people and calling them a false teacher just because we disagree doesn't help. I can point out things, and I think we should point out things, that do not align with Scripture when it's used to lead people astray. Now, I can't look inside a person's heart. I can't tell you what a person's motive is. I'll let God do that. Yet pastors and elders are called to Protect the flock in these things as Paul instructed the elders in Acts 20 because he says, people will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So immature and naive believers think that when a Bible verse is read or a book is written by somebody, that they're sound in faith. Folks like Joseph Prince or Bill Johnson say things that are contrary to a biblical understanding of some items. But you can hear them communicate the gospel. And they do not advocate immorality. They don't fit as I see it being called a false teacher like many do. Now in my opinion, they teach things that are erroneous and that are beyond being minor you know, it's kind of like I was trying to think of an illustration. Now, this doesn't apply strictly in every sense. When uh, our kids were of, you know, dating age, I would communicate to them, "Listen, it's not enough that this person is a Christian. That you need to be unified in important issues. You need to marry someone who is following Christ wholeheartedly. Just doesn't give lip service." In the same vein. It's one thing to see a spiritual teacher as a Christian. It's another to lend your support, to partner with them. And so I may not be an enemy because, you know, they're within the pale of the gospel, but that doesn't mean I want to partner with them. And as a church, we have to make decisions whose material we use what music we sing uh, sing here in our worship. And we've thrown stuff out from certain publishers that may be associated because we just don't want the hassle of people getting into what another person propagates. So there are problematic teachers. I'm not calling them false teachers, but they're problematic. And I'll let God determine what category they fall in. But we can be alert. We can be discerning and not support or participate in their ministries. We don't always get it right, that's for sure. So I'm glad God is gracious with us as well, right? Our attitude towards others needs to also be gracious but not be gullible. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. God's justice does not sleep and it's never late. The nature of false teachers is that they want to be accepted in our midst to push their wares. Peter says this type that he was addressing negate Christ's lordship because they reject clear, ethical statements from God's Word. They reject the revealed Word of God. They deny the truth, and they exploit others. And because of this cumulative negative effect on the church, Peter announces that there will be certain negative effects in their life as well. And again, that can refer to earth or heaven and loss of rewards if they're actually Christians. I don't know, that's for God to figure out. But may God give us ears to hear and not be in denial of the presence of such things. And may he give us hearts to heed humbly, pointing it out, humbly. In our case, if we know the people, we can We can confront them humbly, still being kind, loving, but not denying the presence of bad religion. Let's pray.